You know, Paul, <laughs> it's like he turns the world upside down. All of a sudden, you walk into Paul's world, and you don't see a sinner begging God. You don't see a beggar on their knees. You don't see anybody pleading to God at all. It's like the whole world has been reversed. The whole world has flipped on its head. What you see is this. Jesus begging you. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Our scripture tonight for Ash Wednesday, this is the chosen lesson is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of of salvation. This is God's word. Coincidentally, the day historically comes onto the calendar tomorrow. The story goes like this. The man was laying in a bed. It was 10 p.m. He was saying to himself and to God, Psalm 31, the same psalm that Jesus prayed from the cross. And then he fell asleep. He woke up a little while later to a second heart attack. He got real cold after that. The people who were there in the room to help him, they couldn't get him warm again. They took warm pillows. They tried to help him like that. They put warm clothes on him. He still couldn't get warm. Suddenly, he broke out into a sweat, one of those cold ones. The onlookers thought that maybe he was starting to recover. He said, no, 
This is the cold sweat of death. And then he said the words of song of the song of Simeon. He said, I will go now in peace and joy. The onlookers didn't believe it. They brought out healing oils. They wanted to try to get his body going again. But finally they gave in. His pastor came and asked him, Do you believe in Jesus Christ your Lord? And do you still hold to all the doctrines that you've confessed? He weakly said, Yes. And then, at a quarter to 3 a.m., he died. Not too many people know that story of how Martin Luther died. What they do know is one of the most famous scraps of paper that has ever been written was found in that room that night. Martin Luther's last written words. Do you know what he wrote? He wrote, we are all beggars. This is true. You know, ashes, they remind us of these things. They remind us of death. There's an artist by the name of Hans Holbein. He did a series of woodcuts. And he named the series of woodcuts the Dance of Death. They're an interesting group of art. He depicts these images of all these different kinds of people dancing with death. This is how a child dies, the picture says. This is how a priest dies, the picture says. This is how this person and that person dies. And what it shows is what everybody believed in that time is that death is the great equalizer and it's fascinating art history, not the least of which because it shows us how different we are in our modern times. How our views of death have changed. Or really how we just don't look at it anymore. One of the most interesting things I did in the recent months is I went to the funeral homes here in Aiken and I interviewed the funeral directors who very graciously gave me their time. I wanted to learn what the views of people here in Aiken are like toward death. I learned a lot of things. But perhaps I learned this the most. People here don't want to see death. That's why they don't often allow people to see the body. That's why people aren't having Christian funerals anymore. I could say a whole lot more about it, but I want to I go at this and frame this yet a different way. I was, went to a circuit meeting, that's what we call it. I get together with my brother pastors in South Carolina 
and we read scripture together and we pray together and we discuss matters of ministry together. And the last one I went to was very interesting. We went around the table and my brother pastors were talking about how interesting it was how in the past few months what they thought was going to happen just didn't happen at all. And all this talk of death and disease and all these images, the pastors thought, you know what people are going to do? They're going to turn to God. They're going to, come, they're going to come to God and they're going to say, you know, God, give me life. God, just give me the sacrament. God, just give me grace. And people haven't done it. Why not? I was thinking about that on my drive home. And I've got a suggestion for you. I think part of it might be this. In our modern, mechanized world, we have forgotten the spirituality of death. We just take death and we boil it down. We boil it down to a diagnosis. We boil it down to a chart. We boil it down to what the doctor says. We boil it down. All of its death and sicknesses and viruses, all of it, we can explain it now, we think. And we've stopped thinking about it. We've stopped thinking about why is it so, so that a person can go through life and their body can completely fall apart and they've never thought about why. Why? What I'm telling you is this. I'm not sure I agree with this quote anymore. I read this quote. It says this, Sickness helps people think seriously of God and their souls and the world to come. When somebody's healthy, they can find no time for such thoughts. They put them away. They dislike them. They call them troublesome and disagreeable. But a severe disease has the wonderful power of mustering these thoughts. I read that recently, and I thought to myself, I'm not sure I agree. I think, I think sickness and death these days is just as much likely to make people think of getting good health insurance or getting the vaccine. Are we beggars? I'm not so sure. I read the newspapers. I wish I was seeing headlines like, wow, we have a vaccine for this? How undeserving are we? How good is God? Instead, what are we doing? We're running around like spiritual brats. The production needs to be faster. The, the things need to be better rolled out. makes me thankful for Ash Wednesday. You know, we clear the altar. We don't deserve visual riches. We're beggars. We have these rituals that we do. We make the sign of the cross. We, we say these words, dust you are, and to dust you will return. And we can finally can start connecting the dots, the spiritual and the physical, the sin and, and the death. It's not just Alzheimer's, it's sin. It's not just a virus, we are disconnected from a God who is life. 
I remember last year we did the imposition of ashes for the first time. I remember how moving it was for me as a pastor. I'm, I'm taking these ashes, I'm wiping them on people, and these people that I love, and these people that I know, and I'm thinking to myself, am I going to do their funeral someday? My daughter walks up. I say to her, dust you are. And to dust you will return. I think about what that wise pastor said, that whenever you hold a child, you have to remember that that child in your arms one day is going to turn to, to dust. And we put it all together. It's our own damned fault. Every bit of it. The sin, the death, all of it. This is why we die. We have become separated from God. We are all beggars. This is true. Or is it? You know, Paul, <laughs> it's like he turns the world upside down. All of a sudden, you walk into Paul's world and you don't see a sinner begging God. You don't see a beggar on their knees. You don't see anybody pleading to God at all. It's like the whole world has been reversed. The whole world has flipped on its head. What you see is this. Jesus begging you. Jesus pleading with you. Jesus wanting you. It's such a reversal. Sure, look at it theologically. How does God do it? He does it through yahoos like me. <laughs> he has these ambassadors. He has these representatives. These people who go out and speak to people for God. You know, sometimes, and I'm going to do it right now, you just have to rise up with that glory and tell people the way it is for the sake of the holy ministry of the gospel. Sure, you can call me Jonathan. That's my last name, but that's not who I am to you. What matters isn't who I am. What matters is what I represent. What matters is who I stand for. I don't speak to you in my own words, and I don't speak on my own authority. I speak for God. I plead for him. I talk about his case. I'm here for him to speak to you. And the whole point of me saying this is what God is doing right now in this moment is he is pleading with you. See, you're not the beggar. He is. He wants you. It's almost too good to be true, isn't it? God's aching heart. The way it strives for you and yearns for you and aches for you and chases you and implores you and begs you. 
We have the worst time getting our hearts around that. The way that you run from him, and he just chases you. The way that you sin against him, and he just runs for you. We have the worst time getting our hearts around that, believing that it's true, that he wants us. I mean, how can we do that? How can we become confident that these roles have been reversed? How can we believe that? How can this be a true word? Or is this just kind of some stooge who's standing here in front of you, giving you wishful thinking? How can you believe it? I'll tell you. God made him who had no sin to be sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God. That's why you can believe it's true. That's why you can believe that God begs you, implores you, pleads for you, loves you, wants you, yearns for you, chases you, hunts you. Because Christ made it so you're not a beggar anymore. He made you rich. Have you ever seen that movie, The Passion of the Christ? Two hours. I watched it one good Friday. I could never watch it again. It's too much for me. Two hours of watching the one who had no sin become sin. Two hours of it. So that you might become the righteousness of God. So that the roles might switch. So that your sin is, is his sin and his righteousness is your righteousness. So that your death is, is his death and his life is, is your life so the roles can switch. See? So that this can be true. That, that today, in a sense, you're not here to implore God for salvation. But that instead, God is here to implore you to receive his salvation. Will you? Will you today? Will you let Jesus carry you to the Father Will you let Jesus' blood cover your sin? Will you let his death be your death and his life be your life? I am begging you, be reconciled to God. I love Ash Wednesday for this. I love how we, we take the altar and we could just clear it. So that always sees how rich we are. How rich we are. 
I love how it's not just words. Remember you are dust and to dust you will return. They are words. They're important words. We remember it's our own damned fault. But a sign comes with. The sign of the cross. And it reminds me that every single time that I speak that to a Christian, I love that quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, every time you look at a Christian, you are looking at a truly immortal person. Now, when I hold my daughter in my arms, I'm not just holding something that's going to turn to ash. I am holding God's baptized child. Somebody that God pleads for and yearns for. People in front of me who today God wills not let rot with the maggots in the ground. Today's true, we're beggars. But it's also true. We are those who are begged for, implored for, pled for. So that against every sickness, every death, that you can know Christ has truly entitled you to life. Today's your day. Believe it. It's true.